Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. Uh, this is Simon Sweetman, this is your host, and this is episode 70. This is me talking with Roger Fox, the uh, the doctor of jazz, the very public face of jazz for a lot of New Zealand, uh, a legendary educator and musician, a band leader, um, a teacher, and, and, and still a performer in, a, in his own right. Um, I've known Roger for quite a few years, I, I, I guess I grew up. Uh, you know, at some point I saw him on the TV, probably on a telethon or something, and I, I sort of got to know who he was and uh, through his playing, and then I started turning up at the shows that he was putting on as a reviewer. I reviewed a few of the shows. At some point we met, I, I can't remember when that was, but it was over a decade ago, and we've, we've had a few conversations in, in real life and a, and a bit of correspondence, but again, he was someone I always wanted to talk to for this, and he'd helped me set up a couple of other episodes of the podcast and a couple of other interviews and at one point I said to him we really need to sit down and, and, and do this have this chat and he said you know yep get me after the jazz festival and we'll do it so he came around the other week and we we sat down and we talked about his career I mean here's a guy who as a teenager was in one of New Zealand's greatest bands certainly one of the best bands of that time Quincy Conserve and um, you know played with that great band across some, some of their hits and all of the shows that they did and then Somewhere after that, while he was still playing in that band in the mid-70s, he started his first version of a big band, and he's been doing that for 40 years since. Um, also creates some small ensembles to play in, and uh, he sort of uh, has found his way into being something of a promoter as well, obviously by necessity of the big band and needing to keep the big band going and give them new charts to play and new experiences he's ended up bringing some incredible talent to the country uh, a long-running relationship with Chris Kane who was an early interviewee episode of this podcast which Roger set up um, obviously there's lots of local connections but he's also brought in um, uh, you know people like uh, Betty Levette who of course now is sort of a big name again and lots of people know her but he managed to sort of get to her at a time when, when people had kind of forgotten about her and he helped reintroduce her I think to certainly to a New Zealand audience uh, Charlie Musselwhite, Robin Ford, Dave Weckle, all sorts of names and he's still he's still working on bringing people out so we have a big conversation about that um, they've got a um, crowdfunding campaign going because and there'll be a link in the in the notes to this because they're trying to get to uh well they're going to get to one way or another i think um monterey for the jazz festival 60th anniversary and because roger has taken bands there before um they have been invited but but they didn't have the usual amount of time that they would normally have on an application like that to to set aside a year to you know raise some funds so they are asking people to to if they want to to dip in and help them they they've put some concerts on they'll be doing some more work towards that and you know th th this is this great thing he does i think as an ambassador not just for jazz but for music in new zealand of 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 not only taking people overseas to have that great experience, we talk about this in the podcast, all, all of those people go overseas, they make music, they meet people, they get into experiences, then they come back to New Zealand and share those experiences through, through their own performances and also as teachers. So, you know, he's doing a great thing. And, and in fact, he did a great thing coming and sitting and chatting to me because we got to talk about so many great stories he has of making music over the years and supporting music. And I love his sort of philosophy of, of just caring so much about putting the music out there into the world. So it was, please support them if you can, check out the, the Roger Fox Big Band and the School of Music and see what they're up to and um, have a listen to us talking at, uh, on this podcast and thanks as always to our sponsors Yeasty Boys, Le Petit Chocolat and Tea Leaf Tea. This is episode 70, me talking with the legendary Roger Fox.
you grew up in a musical household. I do know that. Yeah, most definitely. So yeah, yeah. so t- t- <laughs> tell me about that and how did you feel it was forced on you, or was it just natural to? No, it's just naturally. Uh, but well, both my parents are musicians, so my mm. father was a, a cornet player, trumpet player, fantastic violinist and conductor, and my mother was a classical pianist uh, of some note, and uh, but dabbled in playing dance band piano. Mm. So. Mm. Um, so music was always in the household, and the, and it, it was encouraged that we participated, but it was never really forced. I, you know, I've got yeah. two, uh, two people, two members of my family who never really did anything. Right, like, I was well, going to ask you that. Yeah, yeah. Say so, that. and there's only I'm the really uh, yeah. There's six six children in the family, so I got an older brother and sister, and young, young two younger sisters and a brother. Uh, so I'm the only one who's really taken it up as a profession as yeah. such. But uh, you know, my younger brother Christopher plays lead trombone on the big band. He's always played in bands you know so yeah. uh, everybody sort of kept up to, to the level they wanted to like yeah, maybe right. at the local brass man or whatever but yeah. um but the good thing i think with my bra- upbringing was the music played in the household was really diverse you know my, my, my father had a quite an eclectic sort of um range of listening so so, right. so in the city well, they were both teachers yeah they were both teachers college for a long long time my father yeah. was here for 25 odd years uh and my mother also was there for a long time but just coming up like when he was in the uh he conducted the third division band in the second world war up the east uh well up the pacific and um he was sort of inspired by a lot of the American service bands. So, yeah. so naturally all the bands from New Zealand were English-style brass bands. Yeah. So what he did was he found all the sort of Glenn Miller music of the day yeah. in the 40s and rearranged it for an English brass band. Now, as far as I know and for anybody else knows, that was one of the very first times an English-style brass band played anything to do wow. with big band music. Yeah. So that was sort of mid-40s in, mm, the, in, mm. the, in the Pacific. So that, so he was sort of taken with that, but he had a real classical background with violin, conducted brass bands, conducted stage shows. So that, that that's what could be played in my household. Like when, you know, you wake up to you know, yeah. uh, Black Dyke Mills playing the test piece <laughs> for the competition coming up in three months' time. Yeah. Uh, to Louis Armstrong playing with his Hot Seven, and uh, on it went. And yeah. then my, and then my mother would teach piano, so you'd have somebody doing the LTOSL exams at a high level or mm. grade one and sort of missing all the notes yeah, so that's yeah. what you'd wake up to. <laughs> yeah 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 or or the, the tuna section for the local brass band practicing on a sunday morning at 8 yeah. 30 yeah uh for the contest so wow. there was no escape no so well, that sounds, i mean but, but that, that wonderful. Is, yeah, well that in itself i mean gave us a real um a good view on life and he, my father had that sort of view when he was at minor college so like in those days it was uh, very much Every music student at, or every student at school, high school, got two periods of music. Yeah. So what he did was the deal was one period you bring what you want to listen to, the other period I bring stuff in, yeah. which I think you should be listening to. Yeah, yeah. But what he did was he, you know, somebody would bring in the Easy Rider album and hear Steppenwolf playing or something like that, yeah. not that album. Yeah. And uh, he would find something sort of it's outrageous. Like something more contemporary classical yeah, yeah. or brass band wise and bring it along and say, Well, you know, what's yeah. more, you know and he would sort of inspire people to listen to both. So mm-hmm. he never sort of closed his ears off to any right. styles of music. So and so I you know, I think that's sort of 
you know, has trickled down. Yeah, yeah. To what I do, so that's that's a, a kind of wonderful influence yeah, to have, yeah, and something yeah. that you re, you know you yeah. recognise later, right? Yeah, yeah. Go, yeah. At the time, I wasn't sure, but um, yeah. Especially waking up with the hangover after playing in a club, the four tubers <laughs> playing in my parents' lounge. <laughs> so, so you feel yourself taking to music early? Yeah, you, oh yeah. You know, through all of that, you. Yeah. You're yeah. just experiencing these things, and you feel what uh, interested in playing. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I mean, I was definitely driven. Um, I, I was probably driven in the early days to be a classical musician. Yeah. Um, because that sort of was the background of what I was doing. You know, so you know, I was playing in the brass bands. So, you know, I was playing in the Wellington Youth Orchestra. Yeah. I was principal trombone with the New Zealand Youth Symphony Orchestra on several years. And back then, the uh, New Zealand Symphony Orchestra had a thing called the Orchestral Trainees, which was actually aligned to the governments of the day. So this is late 60s, very early 70s, 69, 70, somewhere around there. Um, the, yeah, there was a big sort of apprenticeship scheme. So like all my friends at Mana College were doing sort of plumbing and electrical yeah, and yeah. electricians, you know, sort of apprenticeships. Yeah. But the uh, orchestral, they, they, they tied a thing up called the orchestral trainees. So it was, it was a three-year apprenticeship aligned to the symphony orchestra, which is actually very clever. Yeah. So they had about a 30-odd piece orchestra, like a you know, chamber-type yeah. orchestra. Uh, and you'd, it was three years at a time. So it was a three-year apprenticeship, and those people were, would come out, and then they'd take the next three-year intake. Well, there'd been an intake that went in, so it must have been about 70, 67, something like that. And when I was applying, it was for the second intake and got accepted. So my last year at school, I did the auditions, was accepted, got, got a letter in November, accepted in the trainees. I thought, good, I'm set for three years. Yeah. I got a musical apprenticeship, blah, 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 I'm off. Yeah. I'm going to be a professional musician. Yeah. Um, and then the letter came out mid-January saying, because the previous three-year intake of brass and woodwind players hadn't been able to find any work, and any of the regional orchestras uh, anywhere, they've decided now to cut out the second intake of brass and woodwind. So from my having a yeah. three-year apprenticeship as a classical, young up-and-coming classical trombonist to nothing. And I, I happened to pick up the paper. My parents were away on holiday. They were actually friends of ours in Rotorua. And I, but I, I'd stayed home because I had a summer job and um, just really keep practicing and get into yeah. the orchestra trainees. Start in February type of thing, and all of a sudden, sort of about the third week of January, the letter comes out saying, "Sorry, you, we've, we've now <laughs> yeah that whole plan that you yeah, had. yeah." So I picked up the paper, and it had there was an ad saying, "Brass players wanted Quincy concert." So I rang up. I knew a Quincy concert was because you know they had hit records out at the time, yeah, and played at the downtown club. So um, I rang up. Malcolm Homer just sort of said, well, can you come in tonight?" It was a Thursday night. Oh yeah, I can come in the night. So I got the got the train in. They then realised that they played the two in the morning and there's no train at the two. So Malcolm Heyman, whoever had the most fines, had to drive me home. So I had this unbelievable drive from Wellington to Te Arabe from the then drummer, uh, Mike Connor, and Conway. Uh, and that was it. So I got the job at Quincy's. Wow. So and I had the unenviable task of sort of ringing my parents the next day and saying, "Well, you know that classical career I had, <laughs> uh, but I've joined. I've, I've got I've a job a rock, band. rock band." <laughs> and all my father said was, all, "All we want you to do is the best you can." Yeah. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday. Clack. <laughs> that was it. That was the end of the conversation. It was right. Like, and then, but it, it it became a joke. Um, 
uh, playing in Quincy's because all of a sudden, you know, the club, you know, it was the, one of the hip clubs in town at the time, sort of early 70s, downtown club. So, and everybody was like 20 or early, yeah. early 20s, you know. And uh, all the way in the back there would be my parents, I was just 40 say, odd years they old. Up, they, they were old, you know, yeah, yeah, 40. Yeah. So at the club, we're checking it out. You and know? did they give you sort of notes? Like, did they... Oh, you know, no, they just... They, or they, they just enjoyed it yeah, and took it Yeah, they just enjoyed it. And I mean, I mean, because they were musicians, I think, you know, everybody sort of knew who they were or, or knew yeah. of them. I mean, they, you know, they were befriended by Malcolm Heyman, the singer who led the band, and, you know, got, got to know Bruno Lawrence, who was one of the drummers, and, yeah. you know, it was Johnny McCormick, one of the saxophone players, all that type of thing. So the, the, they just sort of became part of, oh, there's oh, Roger's mum and dad, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, good, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. It was like, that's sort of how it was. So, yeah. I mean, Quincy, there's, there's a great line, line-up of hits when you look at, like, a, yeah. a best of, yeah. and there's some fantastic album tracks oh, too no, yeah. and this is a band that lasted a while yeah and, well, and was kind of mm. was pretty well i was cutting edge at the time yeah yeah Zealand, i was, I was gonna know. say pretty highly regarded yeah because that band had both i mean it, it, it some great players went yeah through, great right. players went through the band uh they it, it was a band which had you know an ability to play sort of what the general public Required at a club like that. Malcolm was really astute like that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, a lot of the players also had a lot of training, so uh, we were able to do a lot of the sort of recording work at EMI, sort of back artists. And, yeah. You know, the horn section would go in there and read parts and all that type of thing. I mean, the, the drummer on that band, Richard Burgess, who was from Christchurch, who was on Just Before I joined. Uh, he uh, is the chief archivist at the Smithsonian. Mm. So it's pretty wild, you know. And I, I didn't really know him. I mean, he, he, I knew him, but he, he'd left and gone to Berkeley and then ended up in England. And and he was the guy who uh, started all the drum programming, electronic drums. Cause he did the Thompson Twins and all that. He yeah, did all right. the production and, and wow. sounds for all those drum programming things. So all of a sudden you got all these people who came through yeah. that band. And did Grace McLeod play drums? Yeah, right, yeah. Right, so he yeah, was my yeah. he was my yeah. first drum tutor. Yeah, yeah. And I did I think he left the country like he, uh, I he went to South Africa. Yeah, I didn't get drum lessons for very long as, mm. as anyone who's heard me play knows, but I um, <laughs> he was the first tutor and it yeah. was only a matter of weeks, yeah. but but I remember my, my dad you know, my dad had played with some local bands, and so I think they might have supported Quincy when they went, yeah. when they went through Hawke's Bay or right, whatever. Yeah, so he knew who he yeah, was. Yeah, and he, yeah. he gave me a photograph that he had of race to yeah. give to him, yeah. and he was quite blown away yeah. by that, sort of going, wow, this is, you know, that's another life. And, mm. and, and so I was about 11, and I mm. remember that. But I always remember thinking, he was a great drummer because he because you know he, I watched him play and he tried to show me how to do things and then also Bruno Lawrence oh, yeah. was part of Quincy yeah. so I remember thinking mm. that was my first sort of idea that man there must be some pretty good musicians that went through this mm. and also good writers right like yeah. like um, Bruno wrote Bruno, Bruno Ride the Rain did, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so well, lots so more than mm. one writer driving it yeah Dennis Mason wrote some good things yeah and then covers and, and, and yeah, and, and Johnny McCormick and Barry Brownsharp did a lot of the horn arrangement. Yeah. And, and, and they base because Johnny McCormick was actually a corner player, tenor horn player or something like that in, in the brass band in Palmerston North before yeah. he took up saxophone. And uh, so both him and Barry Brownsharp, who was from Wonganui, uh, who played the brass bands uh, in the school system, I mean, they were all really good readers and yeah. had an understanding of that side of things. So that really made the band sort of different than a lot of the sort of rock bands of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it had, had, 
had an educational side to it and was able to do a lot of different things. And we were able to learn tunes quickly. And was it just playing part of the pub, but like a lip service to jazz that yeah. was actually pretty yeah. well integrated? Yeah, it was in, yeah, integrated. And, yeah. and so what I'm getting to is your classical career goes on hold. This is yeah. a pretty cool thing to fall into. You know, as well, you pretty much fall into it by flow cartridge. Yeah, yeah well, it? I've been lucky. I've been lucky actually all my life with that sort of thing. You see. Um, I don't know if I was sort of like somebody looked at me and thought, oh, we're going to give him a go. <laughs> I'm actually not too sure. But, but, you know, as an 18-year-old, sort of like all of a sudden it was like, you know, I'd listen to Blood, Sweet and Tears and, you know, uh, you know all that type of thing. Yeah, Chicago started and to come Chicago up. Chicago and yeah. uh, with Jim Pankow, the trombone player and all that sort of thing. But, had you know, I had no sort of thoughts of playing a band. But the good thing, I had played some big band jazz music because at Mana College, my father had a American style concert band, so yeah. it was like had flutes and clarinets and saxophones, and he had a lot of his old dance band orchestrations. Yeah, and uh, so he started the big band. So like this is like about nineteen sixty six, sixty seven. Well, we had a big band at Mana College, playing you know dance band orchestrations, but it was yeah. still three trumpets, three trombones, five saxophones, rhythm section, Yeah, uh, which was unheard of in the mid-60s. Yeah. As far as I can find out to this day, there was only one other school, there was a guy called Jock Raddick, who imported music, and, and he was in the music business in Auckland, and he was in one of the schools in Auckland around at yeah. the same time. That's the only other school I know that had right. a big band. I mean, there's the odd group that had jazz-type groups, but uh, not big band. So, uh, it wasn't too much of a step for me. I like I could read yeah. well, but I understood the idioms. I'd listen to the rock thing, and yeah. and and being my first band being Quincy's, it was like you were basically thrown on the deep end with all these yeah. players that can play that shit. So yeah. it was like sink or swim. With the, yeah, yeah, yeah. with a real expectation because they <laughs> yeah. had records yeah, yeah, out yeah. and they had. So a so that in itself, I mean, just gave yeah. me a, a severe boost. It was like yeah. I, I really didn't have to go through the started this band and worked at that band. So how long do you play with them for? Quincy's, I was on the band, I was on the band, uh, well, I was right through to the end of the band, basically, so I Which joined, is what, early to mid-70s? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. mid-70s, so uh, it was about 75, 76 when Malcolm folded it, so yeah, yeah the band was in its 10th year when I, right. when the, when I well, yeah, yeah. we all left because Malcolm yeah. decided to fold it up, and, and really the band... Uh, had done what it was going to do. Uh, yeah, and that scene of sort of those clubs and the bands yes. were being taken over by the pubs. Yeah, and and part and, and in part, um, you know, I'd taken four of the players who were on Quincy's went into the eighteen sixty band. Yeah, uh, and we used to do Saturday afternoon at the eighteen sixty, which was the pub. You know, if I had a dollar for every time somebody comes up to me and you can say, I remember those afternoons, I'd, I'd be singly wealthy, you know. I won't need to win lotto, I'll just live off the dollars these people give me every time they say it. But, um, yeah, so what happened was, and he just saw saw that was the direction, yeah. what was happening, you know. Yeah. And now there's a bit of a myth that by me having that band destroyed Quincy's. Right. And... Which, quite frankly, I don't go with because you know, right through to the day Malcolm basically passed away, yeah, uh, we were good, really great friends, 
and and he was very supportive of what I did. He really supported what I did with the big band. I started the big band in '73. Uh, when I was with Quincy's, he sang with the big band occasionally around that time. Um, yeah, he was really supportive. So there was an underlying thing, oh, because Roger took all the players into the 1860 to destroy Quincy's. That, I mean, it, we'd gone from playing the biggest you know, hotels to yeah. sort of playing to 50 people up at Pycock. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's where the band had got to because the whole music thing had changed. Yeah, and, yeah. And the pub circuit was dying and the whole, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, and it was really, he, he was just so glad to see that things were progressing. Yeah. And, and he went back to his first love, it was actually playing guitar in a rock band. Yeah, right. So, Captain Custard. So, which played at the Royal Tavern, which was yeah. right next door to the 1860s. So, he, he took Murray Loveridge and uh, Fred Loveridge. Uh, Murray was the bass player of yeah. Quincy's, but I didn't use him with the 1860 band. Uh, so, you know, some of the players from Quincy's went with Malcolm, and the rest went with me with the 1860, yeah. and off, off we went. And, and you've kept some version of the big band going. Well, I've had the big band going for. Since then, pretty since much. Then. Which is. Yeah, the only time I, I didn't have a full big band was about a two year period uh, that'll be late. 80s right when I was on tour with Mitch yeah Marston. yeah so yeah. what I did was I I had this fantastical idea of I can get a big band on the road in New Zealand yeah why I thought that I don't <laughs> know. but but it grew out of a conversation with Mitch like we were playing a, oh I was playing a ball type conference thing in Tauron you see yeah. and, and we were playing on the stage sort of for dancing with a big band full big band and, Mal and um, Mitch had his blues band downstairs in the other room at the at the Bay Court. And we finished first. We finished about an hour before they did. So a lot of us went down. We had just got to get up and jam it, basically. And that's where it happened. Because yeah. Mitch was brought up with all that jump swing, big band music. Yeah, yeah. Family, you know, dug all that stuff. So that's when I just joked. I said, man, we should do something together. It's almost that comment that's got me into trouble all over the place. <laughs> Yeah, good trouble. That's your CV. Good trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, trouble. yeah. <laughs> yeah let's do something. You know, like, yeah. And uh, so, I, you know, I put some ideas together, and he came back to some of the ideas, and then I, I thought, ah, oh, you know, trying to do with this the full big band. A, there's writing for that size of band, and then touring that size of band. So I went for three trumpets, two trombones, three saxophones, rhythm section, which was actually a size Maynard Ferguson, which is mm. band two. Mm. That's what he was using. And that sort of gave us a big band sound, but a, and a slightly bigger horn section, say Blood, Sweat and Tears in Chicago, but you could still get a rock thing, it wasn't too Yeah, you could still do that yeah. sort of material, but so, you could go well, beyond like that. We managed to keep that band on the road for almost two years. Yeah. Uh, it almost killed me, but uh, <laughs> a lot of things happened <laughs> along the way. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was great, but, but we, we also had a big educational thrust with that band, so... During the day, we'd do sort of one-hour schools concerts, and I'd do sort of like the yeah. history of jazz, and, and Mitch would do sort of like a blues section, and, you know. So, which is a big, big, big part of what I yeah. have, have always done with the band well, right, what, right till now. That's is, what I was gonna, is, is really the, the try and develop. That's what I wanted to know was how the yeah. educational side comes yeah. in, and obviously, I can see that again. He, 
there is that influence of your parents. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That, that's what they did. Yeah. That, that's a component yeah. of being a musician. Yeah. Not just in terms of it being a paycheck of a kind, yeah. but also just yeah. a giving back. Yeah. And encu- you know, oh, encouragement. Well, if you don't have that, there's, there's going to be no scene. I mean, that's what a lot of people forget. I mean, they, they sort of get to a, a stage and they think, oh, that's it. We'll just... just keep building up the bank account. Yeah. Problem is, you know, if you're dealing with people where you need people to come to concerts. Yeah. And you get older. Yeah. You need other people coming through who are gonna to come to those concerts. Just the same as they need. And it's something I impress on all the younger players in my band. I mean, you know, I mean probably half, over half my band's under thirty, so and it's always has been. Yeah. Uh, uh, but they need to be doing the same thing. Yeah. Because when they get to forty or fifty they need some 20 year olds turning up to their gigs. Yeah, yeah. Or A, they don't have a gig. So that's something I, you know, I try and foster. And, you know, most of them, I think, see what I'm doing. And that sort of encourages them to, to put it quite bluntly, bluntly to get off their ass and do yeah. things. Even if it's just going to the local school and doing a workshop, doing some adjudicating in the jazz festival, yeah, yeah. giving of your time. Always happy to talk to somebody, you know, especially if it's a younger player. Um, who's you know wanting to know more or trying or whatever to encourage them? You know, I think that's a real big part of the business. Yeah, yeah. And so the other component that you're well known for that I want to find out how that trickles in, and I imagine it's just an organic part of the process is as you're a you're a player and a band leader and then you're an educator but you're also a promoter and I, <laughs> uh, and I imagine the promoting side in a sense comes from running a band like well, you're almost the promoter there yeah, to begin with yeah well pretty much that's how it started I mean yeah. I, I anybody who knows me well knows I don't like rehearsing for a no good reason yeah. you know I, I don't I don't get there it. needs to be a show yeah well it's got to be some you know Mm. Even if you go down to the local bar on a Sunday afternoon and play the number, yeah. you just got to get out. Because I mean, just going to a rehearsal room, practicing and practicing for no good reason doesn't. I mean, pours me to tears. You know, I can't see it because the whole thing is actually playing for other people. Yeah, that's always been my sort of you know, thing uh, with it. And I think for most musicians, that's how it is. So when I got when I started the big band, it was, it was almost like, what are we doing next? Okay, so I took the band to Manor Two Jazz Festival about three months after I started the band. Then we went to Carol. Then it was like, what are we doing now? Okay, so I bought out Bruce Johnstone, the baritone saxophone player. He was from Wellington, wasn't he? Mm. He was actually his first teacher was my lead alto player, Tony Norts. And Bruce Johnstone ended up playing Maynard Ferguson and uh, Woody Herman. Fantastic. Well, his brother was still in, in Wellington, uh, blah, 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 we got a hold of him. And, yeah, there's all the local connections, it just makes sense. He came out and saw his folks, he played some gigs with the band. That was sort of the then it sort of went from there. Yeah, yeah. And then I then I was lucky enough to meet Bobby Shue, trumpet player, who came out and did a series of concerts in Auckland. Mm-hmm. And who had a really, you know, he was fantastic. Uh, Communicator and was just right into the education side. Like, How was the trouble part? Just phenomenal. I had that record. Yeah. And um, oh, the heavy company. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, he, uh, I mean, it's a, I think it's a great record. I, I, I you know, played a bit, and I've yeah. always, I've had it for a long time. Um, but yeah, he's he just burns on. Oh that. yeah. Like, st- oh, you know, great. still like yeah. you listen to that now because yeah. some records. I think not just jazz, lots of records from the early 80s have a very different yeah. sound today to <laughs> yeah. how they, but that one sort yeah. of stands up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
you know, but the good thing with him is he was really open. So like, it yeah. was like, yeah, he went back to the states, and all, and I just sort of said, oh well, you know, it'd be really good if I had a saxophone player come down or a trombone player come down, and blah blah blah. We've had a trumpet player because you've been here, and so he he goes back and talks to a guy called Gordon um, Brisker, who had been with Woody Herman's big band, had played on his quintet, Bobby's quintet, and was also a good arranger. So Gordon arrived, and then all of a sudden Gordon started to write some charts for me, and then Bill Reichenbach arrives, you know. And the thing with Bill Reichenbach is he's only about a year year older than me, so, uh, you know, he was doing all the sort of pop thing with Earth, and Fire, and I played the 1960s, so it was almost, you know, we were all playing the same stuff almost. Yeah. Uh, And it just went from there, so each each one of those people had... But the logistics of that, is that all, I mean... You know, now it's very, very easy for people to email each other and share files, and yeah. you know, like uh, I could, I could, it's, I can see how like arrangements and stuff just get passed around. So, how's yeah. the communication going? Is it, is it long phone calls? And, yeah, long phone calls, and then and you know the, the occasional letter, and yeah, and then the the one <laughs> ten by eight photo would arrive, and you yeah. go down to Kodak, and they'd print thirty copies for you. And yeah, you'd have to send them out <laughs> newspapers and all one individual envelopes. You know, yeah, <laughs> uh, I must say. That I think in those days, my hit rate was better when it came to publicity. Right. Because I think now anybody can put an email. Yeah. And I, and I, I must say, I've thought about it a few times. Every time I send something to somebody, I think, man, you know, I'm going to be one of 500. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it was like, it must drive people crazy if they were like a journalist for a newspaper. Just uh, getting... And that's just like, because yeah, anybody can go... And you got it, you yeah. know. Whereas to actually, you know, get the name, get the address, print the 30 or 40, 50 copies of the one yeah. photo, do the bio, do the, type the letter out. Yeah. You know, there's no photocopier, so you, you had to type it. <laughs> yeah. Each individual Each letter, one, yeah, yeah. And then put it in the envelope and then mail it off. I yeah. mean, you not everybody would do that. Yeah, yeah. Or wanted to do so that. People so people would reward that effort. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you may only end up with... 20 things yeah. instead of 500. Yeah, yeah. Now, 500 may be too small a number. but yeah. Uh, So, yeah. I mean, on the other side, it has made it a lot easier mm. for me that when dealing with the artist because yeah, it's yeah. quicker and you can sort of deal to things quickly. It's like, you know, this is the deal. Here's the dates. Here's the music I'm thinking we've got. What do you got? They send me an MP3 of yeah. the track and, the, and a PDF yeah, of the yeah, chart yeah. and I print exactly. it out and I'm rehearsing it. Yeah. Whereas... Yeah, the guy would have to go down to the yeah, post the full chart. That's the conversation is more fluid. Yeah, well, well, when I brought Louis Belson here, when was that? Oh, that was uh, ninety, nineteen ninety, was it? Right, somewhere. Yeah, around there, anyhow. Yeah. So I I got this ring from a customs friend of mine at Auckland Airport. She said, "Oh, there's a big box here for you." (laughs) I said, "Oh, okay." What was it? He said, "Oh, he said it says Louis Belson." (laughs) I'm thinking, what the hell's that? Well, you know, we'd picked the charts yeah. we were going to do, and I'd found I'd had a lot of the records, so I knew what the charts, and I'd copy them onto cassettes to give the band members and stuff like that. And uh, so I go out there, and there's a there's a box that's about four or five foot high, like a big road case on wheels. Yeah. And I thought, oh, shit, what's up? And it was this whole book. Each 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 part was about two inches thick. Wow! It was the whole yeah. Louis Belson library. I rang him. I said, "What? What's this?" He said, "Well, I didn't have time to take them out." I said, 
you just ship your whole lot. I said, well, you say, I've got no gigs before I get to you. As long as I can take it back. Far <laughs> out. My brain's going, I can't lose this. I can't lose right. that. I can't lose this. You know, I went home and uh, I just took the parts out. I thought, well, if some, somebody on the band loses the part, I'm only going to lose the chart, the second alto part or something of the ones we're playing, not the other 300 charts in his book. Now, you know? that would be later in his life. Yeah. What, what was he like to play with and to, and, to, and to deal with? Because I was just that when you mentioned his name, I just sort of went, of all those kind of master drummers, he's the one I've probably listened to the least. But, you know, like, you know, you line him up with people like Max Roach and mm. Buddy Rich and so on. And, yeah. and, and yet, the stuff I've heard is amazing. Yeah, well, he was, uh, firstly, he was a real gentleman. Yeah. Um, and just so easy to get on with. And because you know, people well, forget he's a real drummer, do they? Yeah, the, two, the double yeah, bass drum yeah, thing the whole and stuff, thing, you know, alive. like, yeah, yeah. man. He, he, he was a little short man, yeah, always wore the, the reefer jacket, the hanky, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. All, the tie. And like, he'd play 10 minutes solo, he wouldn't break yeah, a sweat, yeah, you know, he'd just be there and sort of like, oh, that's that finished, next chart, you know, yeah, it was hilarious. Actually, that, that whole that old tour, I had uh, Buddy DeFranco on clarinet. I had Joe Williams, the great singer from yeah. Count Basie's band, and Louis Belson, that was the bill. Wow. And it was actually Louis who put that together. Because yeah, right. when I got hold of him, I got hold of him through Remo, because he was in the endorsee for Remo. So Frank Gibson uh, Senior, yeah. at the time, had the big drum shop in Auckland. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I worked through Frank, and we got hold of Louis, and then I, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then I just sort of said, oh, we're really good to have a couple of these. So well, I'm doing this, what about this? So we ended up with, with Joe Williams and uh, Buddy DeFranco. And it was the most hilarious thing when I met them at the airport because they all brought their respective wives and girlfriends. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I, I'm standing at the airport, sort of knowing what the guys look like. Yeah, yeah, but there's this entourage. That yeah, <laughs> so basically uh, Joe Williams comes through. And Joe Williams must be, yeah, I don't know, he'd be 6'5", 6'6". Yeah. Real big. Yeah, yeah. Black American guy, a real strapping guy. And and he was standing, and he was there, you know, and it's like there was a little short English lady, and there was an, then there's Louis, and there was a big, tall uh, black lady. And, uh, and I'm looking around, and, they, and, and basically Joe Williams just started laughing. He said, I know it's confusing. So, yeah, so the big, tall, six foot black lady was with Louis. Yeah, right. Was five, you know, <laughs> the was, English yeah. woman. And the short English lady, who, who I've sort of stayed reasonably friend, good friends with, um, it was with Joe. Yeah. And it was like, it was just hilarious. Like, it was, yeah. I'm standing at Auckland Airport, sort of like one of those things at a carnival, you know. <laughs> what was happening, you know. Uh, my head going side to side, thinking, man, who's, who's with who here? I can't work this out, you know. Yeah, it's pretty funny. But they were a hell of a nice people. Mm. And... Just killer performances. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I yeah, bet. Just killer performances. I, I mean, I remember watching, you know, I, I don't know when I first became aware of, of of you and your stuff, but it was probably through, like, telethons and TV yeah. performances and mm. stuff growing up. And so, and then when I moved down to Wellington in the mid-90s, you've got, you, you've rekindled things with um, uh, Mitch Marsden yeah. again, and, and there's all sorts of, you know, you've always done kind of small combo type things mm. as well. But the big band is the thing that really, I guess, is your legacy in yeah, a way. Yeah. And, and and the big band, and then I always think, like, people don't talk enough about the 
yeah, as I said, this kind of uh, reluctant promoter <laughs> that, you, that you've arguably become, or, or yeah. a, occasional promoter, which yeah. I see how it works in terms of it feeds the band mm. and, and, and so forth, like the, um, if not financially, it feeds them with musical yeah. nourishment, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. And, and, and it gives a purpose for the band to work towards mm. and, and, and so forth. And as you say, like, you've got to have a show to put on. Yeah. So, but you, you know, uh, I've seen you do shows with and bring out people like, like Randy Crawford, you know, that yeah. I imagine wouldn't have come to, you know, maybe wouldn't That's have right. come to New Zealand yeah. anyway. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I think we brought Brady Mollick around. Yeah, I got Michael Brecky. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, I went I to mean, that, and I mean, that was... I mean, that took me nine years. Nine years? To, nine of years. pursuing him. Well, from, you know, yeah, yeah, first from meeting first, him and yeah. just getting him here. Fostering and, the relationship. Yeah, and, and, you know, and he felt comfortable about the level of the band and the whole thing. You know, and he was great to work with. I mean, um, that was dynamite. I mean, yeah. it was, in, you know, you know, just, uh, you know. But as I say, I just think I've been lucky in that respect. I mean, you were talking about the telethons and television. Yeah. Um, it's almost like, you know, having looking forward to a classical career and then ending up with, in the top rock yeah. band in New Zealand. Yeah. Or in Wellington, uh, or one of the you know yeah, yeah. better name bands in New Zealand, Quincy's. I mean, I've always had that sort of. Well, I suppose you can call it luck. Yeah. Uh, or some word, I don't know, but it's luck. Um, so it's we're, timing, isn't it? Yeah, most, timing. Yeah. Most luck is timing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, really. So it was like when I started the band, uh, that was the era of Studio One and mm. Showcase mm. and all those sort of television competition type programs. Uh, and and when I, I I entered the big band, more more I think, oh, well, you know, we get to play on television, you know, and I had a couple of guys... Uh, Malcolm Kemp, who was playing bass trombone on the band, he was actually the um, uh, well, head of light entertainment at the time, television, New Zealand, out at Avalon in Wellington. And uh, Peter Blake, the keyboard player, was working there. and You know, it was all that sort of thing. So we thought, well, even if we get to play once, it'll be a good experience. Yeah, yeah. And lo and behold, we get through the heats and we get to the semi-finals, and, you know, then we end up in the finals. I was in the finals with Suzanne Prentice and Split Ends. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Go figure, you know. Yeah, what I mean? yeah, you know? Yeah. So here I've got a big band, American style big band. Middle we were playing more rock type stuff, yeah. But, but it was still a full big band, yeah. And yeah, you know, within the first year of the band's life, I'm I'm sort of hit the finals of one of the highest rated programs in New Zealand on a Sunday night. Yeah, you know, major exposure. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't yeah, have, yeah. I couldn't have timed that better if I even tried. You know. Yeah. And that's really what was the key to it, I think, because yeah. right from the early time. Uh, it was linked to you know, the key venues in Wellington had a lot of the key players a lot of the people who used to come to the concerts were around all the clubs so it was like all oh, this saxophone player from this band is playing and it was all that so there was a big lot of threads coming and then there was that television and I mean you can't buy that now. Yeah, yeah. and the problem now with a lot of the uh, younger bands you know really starting out there's no medium for them like that Mm, mm. I mean, it's gone. Mm. I mean, which is a shame. But once again, right place, right time, right era. But there's still this drive that you have, I think, that, um, you know, I, I would say particularly in the last, say, 10 years, yeah. to, uh, I've become more aware of it, to, to constantly turn up and do the work. I mean, yeah. I've seen you play in small churches, yeah. big venues, um, packed venues, um, You've obviously had nights where you wish there were more people there. Yeah. Everyone does, yeah. you know. You, some things have fallen over yeah. in terms of you thought you had the 
the great guest and the great yeah. bill and the great you know set list and go and turn up in a mm. relative sense but then you've had things that probably more people turned up than you thought mm. you know yeah. it sold out quicker or whatever so that's that's actually like an emotional roller coaster in and of, <laughs> its, in and of itself, is it yeah, not? Yeah, there's, been a few, there's been a few sleepless nights. I yeah, can tell you I, that. Yeah. I mean, it, well, you're okay. dealing with such a such big numbers. Yeah. In, in terms of how many people you're putting on stage. Yeah. Well, it's, well, it's big numbers and there's big numbers when it comes to the, yeah, well, the bank account. Of course, that's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, the la- the tour I just you know we just finished uh, with Dave Wickham and Tony Lindsay and that, I mean, to do the whole New Zealand tour, that that tour was $187,000. Wow, yeah, yeah. To get a, you know, that's yeah. what that's what had to be um, funded somehow by, a, you know. Yeah. And admittedly, I've always had good buy-in from players on the band. Yeah. And, yeah, a lot of them, a lot of the band members are up to the t- task of sort of putting their hand up and saying hey we'll do that so the, you know they'll write some funding applications and doing all that sort of thing but yeah but really when it comes down to it the ball stops with me so yeah 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 and, uh, uh, I mean and that's a yeah I mean that's that's probably the most stressful part but for me I then got to get on and perform so people yeah. expect me to play at the top of my game or, and have the band playing at the top yeah, of the yeah, game. Yeah. but meanwhile in the background I've got all this other shit going on exactly which uh, you know so I mean your your playing role seems to have been reduced in the last few years yeah well in the big band in the big band yeah. I know you still have your, yeah. your little I still do a lot you of still go and do some playing yeah, yeah 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 which is cool but mm. but yeah it's you know, yeah. you, you'll you'll do a solo or whatever. Yeah. You'll you'll have a yeah. featured track or whatever yeah. as part of the yeah. big band. Yeah, well, that's part of, part of it because I, you know, I I look at the vehicle, the big band as a vehicle for the players on the band. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how many trombone solos do you really want to listen to? Yeah, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. When you've got you know other great players on the band, you know, who who can contribute to that side. So, uh, yeah, I've always you know I've always looked at it as a way of exposing. As many players on the band to yeah. the people as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, now, big band music is not for everyone. It's not for you know. Um, some people find it a bit uh, brassy, you know, a bit loud, a mm. bit whatever. But to me, it's um, you know, there's a real uh, electricity around it. Seeing it live, there's a yeah, real vitality. Well, there is. And yeah. I, I think. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, the loud side I, I actually find that a bit difficult because at times um i mean that people say that yeah like you know i i joke with some of my colleagues at the school at the new zealand school of music you know so i said well okay fine yeah big band can be loud and all of a sudden the drums are playing loud and yeah guitar solo and the five trumpets come in but i said i've gone and heard the orchestra play marla yeah exactly but and that but then they usually come back with a retort of sort of oh that's a different loud so no no it's still loud yeah. What they got to also remember is, um, in my younger days, the at the, with the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra, there was a whole lot of them lost their jobs because they they'd lost their hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people forget about that. Yeah, I, I I don't know too many people who play in my big band who've actually lost their hearing. Yeah. To the extent that they can't play. Yeah. So. I didn't go along with it too loud. No, and, no, and but as an excuse. Well, and then, not that you said it, but I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. people to say that. I'm just guessing. Yeah, I'm also yeah, just guessing yeah, that that yeah, you know, like, because yeah. because it's it's very much for me. I, I you know, yeah. I come, I go to lots of the shows yeah. and I listen to you know, 
I grew up listening to big band music because mm. my mum was into a lot of big mm. band music, so it was a big part of my right. early musical education yeah, yeah. too. So you know, yeah, so I, so I always use that, yeah. use that analogy. Of yeah, Marla. no, totally, totally. And I said, well, you know, if you if you can stand Marler at the volume <laughs> that was at, yeah, yeah, my big bands, but. Is, it's a different. It's a different. Topic. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand. Where that. I also want to go with that is, mm. I'm just thinking like, um, yours is a style of music that, with the arrangements you're doing, the, the sort of guest stars, um, I can see how it would win people over. Mm. You know, first timers. I would imagine. Mm. As I say, I, I have some some sort of knowledge of what I'm going to and, and have seen you play over the years a lot. Um, you know, as as both a fan and a reviewer, but mm. but. I could imagine people getting dragged along to that and going, wow. Yeah. You know, afterwards oh, or during, yeah. you know, like, because, because there's something, whereas they might not want to sit down and look, what I'm getting at is they might not want to sit down and listen to the CD afterwards. No. But the, there's a, just because mm. of the sheer number too, there's a performance factor mm. and, and you all sell the music very well, I think, you know, like there's Well, a, it's that, and I think with the big band or what I play anyhow, like I, I've always, you know, I've always tried to push the envelope Probably on what I'm recording, I, you know, I'm always trying to do some yeah. different things. But I, I think in a concert situation, I'm always mindful of, you know, what, what kept the big band thing going, you know. Why are there big bands? Now, the things that kill big bands is if it gets too arty, you know. Yeah. It needs to be accessible by, by a bigger percentage of the population. Yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, so... You know, right back to the early days, I saw the swing era bands. You know, they had, you know, you had that sound of the Glenn Miller band and the Tommy Dorsey band. That was primarily dance music. Then you had the singers introduced. Then the bands like Maynard's band and Maynard Ferguson's band and Buddy Rich and Woody Herman's band introduced the rock element. So you know, all of a sudden they were doing things like Spain and they were doing yeah. Carol King tunes. And but all of a sudden they'd just play one of their yeah. all busting yeah. jazz compositions which be an original but it's based around yeah I, I got rhythm changes on it. and uh with killer solos and you know all that type of thing so i think it's really to keep it accessible i mean i think that uh, that was the um that's why the concert so i did with um dave weckle worked really well now not everybody wanted to hear two hours of drum solos yeah but all of a sudden you had uh tony Lindsay, the singer from santana at the stage yeah yeah with a killer voice. Yeah. And sort of does, you know, the Bill Withers thing and he does the Frank Sinatra thing and he does this and he does the Stevie Wonder thing which yeah. he did with, with Dave playing drums. Uh, all of a sudden that opens a whole lot of doors for people. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, and I think that's the key to why I've managed to keep, can keep the band going. And it keeps it current. Yeah. So, you know, I, I like, you know, you were saying, uh, uh, with the concert we did with Michael Houston, where I got yeah, him, yeah. I, I made him come out and play the piano or one of the piano parts for um, um, the Snarky Puppy piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> because he had, and he uh, was delightfully lost. Oh yeah, it was yeah. great. It was yeah. fantastic. It was because yeah. uh, Lauren Ellis, the drummer. Yeah, the arranged She arranged it, and yeah. I, I saw her on the Thursday when we played with Weckle, and you know she and she was playing drums with Tony. Lindsay and um, I said, man, can you write me a piano part? Like I need a, a, a written yeah. out piano part for Michael to play. Oh, you know, oh right. Yeah, so <laughs> she knocked it out, and so she brings it to the soundcheck. Yeah. At one th one o'clock. Yeah. Gives it to me. I give it to him. And he was a bit reticent. And I said, nah, it'd be cool, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, just have a look at it. You know, you, you know, you, you, it's not really a part. Yeah. You're just playing a part in the rhythm section. 
she's written you some of the saxophone lines which you'd be able to read like that. Yeah. Uh, and it was hilarious. But, but, but because, she, because she had written it out, it wasn't on my score. Right, so, yeah, yeah. And I had no idea. Where, that's why I, I think <laughs> you may have noticed I kept walking yes, over to him. Yes, So partly it was to make sure he knew where he was. And, yeah. and and the other part was for me to know where the hell he was meant to be playing so yeah. I could get back to my score knowing that I had to cure you're in it L yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and we, like, we had a hang afterwards at the Green Parrot and uh, there's a few of us were there and Michael arrived and it, it was just a humorous well, talk, talk a little bit more about this Michael Hurston yeah. collaboration because yeah. uh, I said to you when you, t- when you turned up um, before we recorded that, that was my first time seeing the two of you on stage but it's it's been going on and off across the last couple of years, yeah, couple of years yeah. and you made a recording which I really like and you know I, I, I can't be the first person to say well you know I think this, this is the point of it I can't be the only person that's gone well that's an intriguing collaboration <laughs> like that's that's baffling but it's, it really does work yeah it does so yeah, how well, did it come about? Well, well, I've known Michael for a long yeah. time. Um, you know, we're similar age, you know, and uh, and you're both out there, yeah, out there doing, doing stuff. It. And yeah, he's yeah. always got out there and promoted for what he's doing. He's yeah. been profile, but you know, we've run into each other at mm-hmm. and it was just a, it was a chance. Com- it was, once again, it was just one of those chance <laughs> comics. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was doing. It was part of my 40, 40th anniversary tour, a series of concerts I was doing, and we were in Christchurch. And one of the people who were running my concert at night in Christchurch, we helped me run it, was also the representative for Chamber New Zealand. And they had a late early evening concert with Michael at a yeah. venue. And I just jokingly said to the woman, hey, tell Michael, you know, he's going to be finished probably just when I'm starting. Tell him to come over and, you know, then we can maybe hit a couple of wines mm. afterwards, type of thing, you know. And uh, so, Played the concert, didn't see him. I get an email about three days later from him saying, "Hey, sorry, man. You know, I'd love to come to the concert, but finished mine, and they had a whole after-show yeah. function. I had to go and you know kiss the babies and shake hands." And, <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'm and I, you know, my long-suffering partner of about twenty years, <laughs> Una Ferry lives in Palmerston North, and I've got a box PO box number in Palmerston North. So when I emailed him back, he came back and said. Are you in Palmerston North? Because he lives outside of Fielding. Is where he lives. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm up here at least three or four days a week. So, so when he came back and sort of said, oh, we should get together sometime, blah blah blah. I had, I thought, I just attached to the email a copy of the Prokofiev piano mm. thing I did, which we now do with Michael. Mm-hmm. But I recorded that with my school big band with Bill Cumber mm-hmm. because years ago, this is about six years ago. I had a series of guests on the school albums, and one year I had Bill, and I said, man, I want to do something else. And he said, man, I've been doing this trio version of the part of the Prokofiev piano. So he sent me the trio version. I thought, man, this would be cool. I said, do you think you can make this into a big band chart? He said, and knowing Bill Cunliffe, he can, you know, you, you only have to mention something like that to him, and you get the pencils out, he's already writing it. You know? Yeah. And uh, all the computers out, he's writing it. So I just attached it to the email back to Michael and said, hey, check this out, because I knew he was playing it with yeah, books yeah. for Wellington yeah. about a month a later. Version. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the piece is about 70 and 80 minutes long, and within 20 minutes he came back. Oh, man, well, you know. Yeah. I said, let's talk about it. So a couple of weeks later, Ern and I go out, go out to his place, have, have lunch, and 
that was how it started. Wow. And I yeah. just sort of said, so what we did was, you know, he doesn't improvise. He's got an understanding yeah, yeah, yeah. of what's needed. Yes. And because he's such a strong rhythmic player, I felt it. I felt he could would would be able to adapt to it really oh. well. And because you know, sometimes the classical players mm. aren't haven't got the strength of rhythm as he's got. Mm. Uh, and but but it's funny when you talk to him. Like one of his favorite favorite artists is Gino Vanelli. Right. <laughs> so, so I don't know a whole lot about him, but I I, yeah, I, I do yeah. know his playing, and yeah. I've, I've listened yeah, to yeah. you know the classical recordings, and yeah. I've also gone and watched him. Mm. Um, you know, play in the classical context, yeah. which is why I was looking forward to seeing how yeah. how yeah. physically that adapted yeah. to. And I love the, you know, you can see how his whole body feels yeah. every inch of the music, yeah. even when he, mm. you know, particularly perhaps yeah. when he's not playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just sort of went from there, and uh, yeah, we developed um, the Prokofiev piece. So you know, we did things like. We took Bill Cunliffe's all his improvisations, yeah. and, and I got them written out. Yeah. And then Bill turned them into like a classical score. Yeah, yeah. Um, so things like that, you know, and it made it work. It just works. And then Bill's written a couple of things, and yeah. you know, and I found the Bach piece, the concerto on D minor from the young guy in England who did the arrangement, uh, Callum Isle, and um, it's just gone from there. But yeah, yeah, I think I think. Yeah, we were talking about it before. I think well, one of the best comments from him, from Michael, was, you know, and, uh, somebody was asking, oh, you know, what he, you know, it must be great to do this, and and his comment was, I think I've earned the right. Yeah, yeah, I love to do that. This. I love you know? that. I, and, and I just laughed. I yeah. said, man, I could, yeah, you know, I couldn't have said it better myself. It was like, man, you've fl- you've worked so goddamn hard on what yeah. you're doing. You, you've got the top you're of your game. To, you're allowed to actually do. Yeah, whatever kick you want your heels now. up and, and this and, is it. And it's just a whole new challenge. Um, and you can see that. That's yeah, the thing. You can see it. that he's yeah. totally into it, but that also, uh, you know, in, in that best possible way, he's mm. probably never worked so yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah, you know, but he's into yeah, it. Yeah. So, and, and, and again, this sort of speaks to the, the versatility that you have instilled, I guess, in the band that, you know, I mean, that performance as part of the jazz festival that I saw had some, just some straight ahead big band uh, performances, then the collaboration with Michael. You also had Erna come on and sing, mm. um, you know, which she frequently does, but like that's a different thing again. And then you've got Chris Kane, who's who's become a regular yeah. collaborator, mm. but he brings a completely different, mm. not just style, but energy yeah. to say Michael Houston. Mm. And it all fits together under one roof, you yeah. know, it all, it all, the umbrella is wide enough mm. of the band to cover that. Yeah, well, I think. You know, a lot, lot, lot of that is the rhythm section too. So, mm. uh, I mean, the horn players, you know, have to adapt, uh, but the rhythm sections really have to adapt because yes. I mean, you know, sort of, uh, there's a lightness of playing you need with the stuff we do with Michael, but still keep the intensity. Mm. Uh, and then, then, then they got to be able to play the straight air big band behind Erna Ferry, and uh, and, and then, then the Chris the- Kane thing. You, get, <laughs> you know, you've got to get close to playing. Being at the Bristol playing an yes. R&B shuffle, yeah, if, yeah. If he I haven't got that happening. He, yeah, he, his music just doesn't sound so. Yeah, you know, and I, I, you know, I think, you know, I, I've been lucky. You know, that people, I was, I was people just, buy into it. I was just thinking yeah. someone like Roy Phillips is a yeah. completely yeah, yeah. different yeah, yeah. kettle of fish again. Yeah, yeah. You know, a much well, more delicate. Buy, uh, yeah. 
Really, most players who come on the band, if they don't buy into that sort of yeah. scenario, they don't last too long. So and, that, and, I, and I haven't had too many who have fallen by the wayside. They come on the band with the right yeah. reason and the right view of life. Another, um, um, I guess, guest that you brought out um, that I wanted to that I remembered that I wanted to mention because I felt like this was a, a pretty special one was. Betty Levette. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, you, you seem to get her at a time when she was in between her careers because yeah. she had an early career yeah. and she sort of, that, yeah. that amounted to whatever. And then lots of people know about her now. Yeah. Like the last 10 years, she's put out an ex, a, a yeah. bunch of great albums. Mm. And you had her sort of just before that. Mm. Um, and, and she was, I mean, she was amazing, yeah. I thought. Mm. But so how did that, how did that well, work Well, you know, that, that was all part of the, you know, the World Blues Review series. Um, yeah, was Charlie Musselwhite. Yeah, Charlie Musselwhite. Yeah. And Robin Ford and all those Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who were a part of that. And on that, I had the American Rhythm section. So I had uh, Dwayne Pate and I had Dave Matthew. There was a guitar player, um, Danny Karen, who was the guitar player yes. with Charles Brown. And all those people. Uh, but it was actually through him, he'd done some gigs with it. Right. And when I was putting the bill together, um, which she was on, um, he just mentioned, he said, man, you might, you might want to look at Better Than Pet. You know, she's sort of, she's sort of been almost found again, but yes. not. So, no, so I just put the word out, he put me on contact with the management. And, and, you know, I'd, I'd researched a little bit and um, I thought, well, you know, with the, the bill I had on that particular series of concerts, it, it was a good match. So, um, she arrived. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and away we went. No, no so, I, I, remember, I remember buying one of the albums she had, yeah. um, you know, in the merch stand, like yeah. a live concert album or something, and, you know, really digging it. Yeah. And then it was only a year or so later yeah. that this quite extraordinary run of albums started yeah, yeah. from her yeah. where she'd been as you say she was on the cusp of being yeah. found again yeah, and then yeah, she really yeah. has been now yeah, I mean yeah. I think it was 2015 but it was the, uh, the last album she did was was my favourite album of the year mm. like you know the stuff mm. she's putting out now yeah. is amazing because yeah. yeah. there's an album out where she does versions of all yeah. classics yeah 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 that's the one like Bob yeah. Dylan and yeah, Beatles yeah, 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 yeah. and Rolling yeah. Stones and really quite extraordinary covers mm. like things that you just wouldn't yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. not just the arrangements but just the choice yeah. like it's a real um, it's a real oddball Beatles track yeah. to pick you know mm. an album track yeah. buried deep rather than one of the really yeah. big hits you yeah. know like yeah. it's cool so yeah. whoever's doing that whether that's her or right. I imagine some of it's the producer as well yeah, like, you know yeah. conversation between them but to find out what works mm. but yeah no really good um and so you've toured with the band you t- over the years. You've taken the band to obviously around the country, mm-hmm. but uh, you've also toured internationally. We should talk about what you what you want to try and do. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's just everything has always been one of those. As I say, it's almost <laughs> like you know, I should just shut my mouth or don't listen to something because <laughs> uh, it always sort of leads me down a path. Oh god, this is going to take me forever to find organise. But you know, I, I took the band to Australia. 78 and then I, I, I you know all our all our recordings were done through Ode Records Terence and Elgin yeah. and Terence and a dear friend of his and mine Alan Nelson who was actually on the very early band 73 sort of first two or three years of the band uh, he, he used to work for New Zealand so they, they used to go to Montreux every year for the jazz festival yeah. and in 78 I'd just come back from Australia and it was, they were up at the festival 
and Montreux Jazz Festival in Switzerland. And they'd met Claude Knobs, who was the then director of the yeah. festival. Um, and it was one of those random comments of, oh, you know, a friend of ours has got a big band, blah, 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 you know. You know. And all he said was, if they can get here, they can play. That was the end of the yeah. So they came back and told me. I thought, oh, okay, right, okay. So, the, so in 1980 we went. And sort of 80 and 81, mm. went to Montreux. And then it just sort of went from there. I just think that international do you play with Do you play with Birded Purdy over there? Or yeah, just well, that, well, that was at a jam session. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Cause yeah, that was at a jam session. Because yeah. I have a record. He got up and played. Uh, I've got a record of him mm. with uh, mm. Dizzy Gillespie yeah. from around that time. Yeah, no, he, so, he, we, were, we were jamming and he got... He, he, he came up, it's a bit daunting when you got Bruno Pudi yeah. up and sort of yeah. ask, well, <laughs> Mind you, if I sit in? You cannot sit in. And, and then we have to look at oh, the yeah. drummer, who uh, Bill Brown, who was there. He was up with on the tour. He was playing drums. Ross Birch was actually the drummer on the big band, but yeah. Bill had come away as part of the trip. And uh, so we all had to look at him and say, you're off. You're off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, which is, which is a bit of a shame, but but, but but we had a chance to play with Bernard Purdy, so he was off. Well, he would have probably and, and wanted joked to, about it. He would have probably wanted to yeah, go yeah, and hide no. it away. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, I don't know, because he, he, all of a sudden he, he sat two foot from the hi-hat. Yeah. Then got, he got to see Bernard Purdy first hand. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you can't pay for the experience. No. And, I mean, part everything I've done with those trips... Uh, it's always been of that in mind. It's like the further develop the players on the band. And then, you know, I've done the two two trips to Monterey and I did the Jazz Educators Convention twice and we did a, there's a couple others, the Capital Music one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that sort of gets us into the, you know, the invite I've got to the Monterey Jazz Festival this year, for this year. Uh, every time I've done those overseas trips, it's really, it's the same as bringing international artists here. Yeah. Sometimes I think you need players on the band or New Zealand players in general but players on the band need to experience what it is like to be overseas yeah because till you actually see it first hand and be around it you, in New Zealand you can sort of be in a bit of a bubble yeah you know? of course you don't realise that you know you roll into um, Los Angeles and you know I have my friend John Pappenbrook who comes out and plays lead yeah. trumpet a lot but in, even in John's admission you know yeah, he could bring up 20 other players that play like him. Yeah. And probably another 20 who play better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. In New Zealand, there's probably one. Yeah, yeah. Who plays like him. Exactly. Two, if you like. Yeah. And they don't all live in one. Yeah, that sort of thing. So, you know, as a New Zealand player, you need that, that experience. To, yeah. Just to really, to get it centred a bit so you know what you're dealing with. Especially if you're going to try and look at becoming a professional musician, you know. Yeah. But the, on, then on the other hand, through those experiences, pretty much everybody on the band in some way teaches. They either they're uh, they're music teachers or they're teaching at the university or they're private yeah. teaching or itinerant music teaching. So any of those sort of experiences I've always seen comes back. Mm. It always mm. comes back to the individual and, mm. it's, and it's usually imparted onto their students or the student band they're taking in mm. some direction. Absolutely. And, and that's really the next sort of cycle of everything I try and do. So, what's the ambition with Monterey this year? So the well, invite is... Well, the Monterey one, uh, the, the problem I've got with the Monterey one this time is it's come so late. Yeah. Uh, usually, well, Monterey, most of the festivals actually don't book anything till the year of the festival. But in past years, because of 
you know, I've got to know people. Yeah. Uh, knowing I'm coming some from so far away, they've usually given me a sort of loose-handed invite. Or yeah. Yes. If you could get your nudge and a wink. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. You'll get an invite next year, it's so I, I can start planning a year yeah. ahead. Yeah. Uh, this year it didn't happen because it's <laughs> it's their sixtieth year. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, from what I can gather from Tim Jackson, the director, CEO of the festival, they really just went through sixty years worth of stuff. Yeah. Somehow, Who have we had here before? Yeah. And somehow my name popped out of the woodwork, and it was like blah blah blah. And you know, I've always kept in contact with them. He knows what I'm doing. Yeah. Send him the new CDs. You know, it was all that yeah, yeah. And just keep me in contact. And uh, yeah, he's a good guy. And I all of a sudden I got this thing. Hey, would you want to come up? You know. I said, well, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> yes, but it's only given me sort of about three or four months, four months to actually yeah, get yeah, together, you know. Yeah. And so $128,000 later, I've got to try and get the plane on the on the thing. So, I mean, because it's the 60th, it's getting a huge amount of publicity. Yes. So I think, think, I think for the band and what I could do for the band and with it being a New Zealand band and I'll be playing... A lot of the New Zealand compositions on one of the concerts, all the all the music I've had commissioned for the band, and then I'm going to do one concert with Chris Kane. Yeah, because well. it's so, his neighbourhood. Yeah, yeah, he's so, there. So I'm basically yeah. going to be playing the festival twice, yeah. and with various other concerts built in around it. Yeah, you know, Yoshi's and Oakland and a yeah. few other bits of Bob's um, to get the band sort of up to speed before I hit Monterey. But I mean, the the underlying thing I think is really just what it can bring back. Yeah. You know, yeah. 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 New Zealand. Now, how do you, how do you fundraise for that? <laughs> well, I've always tried to do it by... <laughs> Obviously, one component you put shows on. And... Yeah, well, you know, we determined to, uh, you know, the Michael Houston tour concerts I did and the Jazz Gala series, which was the, yeah. you know, the uh, yeah. uh, Dave Weckl series of concerts. We did six concerts through New Zealand with that. Now, this is all sort of taking into respect, you know, all the, you know, a lot of the players are young. Or they're married with families and mortgages. Yeah. So all of a sudden, they they're not getting paid from the band because yeah, nobody yeah. gets paid. That's for, a nobody, hobby. Yeah, nobody gets paid. All the money goes into the char Fund. charitable trust. Yeah. So you know they're having to give up six days of their life to, to go with Weckl. So that means six days they can't do gigs. And then we've been out with sort of seven concerts with Michael Houston. Yeah. You know. So uh, I mean, there's a financial burden put on all these players. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but the funding, any any of the profit from there is going into the tour. Uh, there's an individual um, component. You know, everybody's contributing a, yeah, a yep. set amount. Uh, nationally, we've got all the f you know normal funding things out there. See if we can get sort of some help from you know government, blah blah blah, any of this, those those agencies. And then the big thing is the boosted campaign, yeah, uh, which is run through the arts. New Zealand Arts Foundation, so went with them mainly because of their arts links and everything. Uh, so if I can get that one over the line, which we're looking at twenty five thousand, I think as of this, today we've got about eleven thousand of it. So I've got ten more days to try and get it over the line. Yeah. If I can get that over the line, I'm I'm pretty close. And if if not, my bank manager will be wrong <laughs> again. <laughs> and people look at me like you're nuts. You see, I must say my. Uh, I had a, I had a telling convers a conversation with my accountant last year. It was like he'd done a sort of analysis of what it's cost me. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, over the years, and when he started to tell me the figures, I said, uh, "Don't tell me. <laughs> I don't want to know. Don't tell me. I'm just going to block my ears." 
I said, well, I said, well, I haven't done it for those reasons. So, you know, no. I'm, I'm reasonably, you know, I'm okay. I, you know, I got a place to live. I got a car, and I, uh, I'm and doing, and, I, and I'm doing what I want to do. To you. And I'm doing what I'm doing, and uh, you know, I've been with the same lady for twenty years, and she sort of tolerates me, and you know, etc., <laughs> uh, etc. Et she's, so, yeah. she's she's no slouch as a musician oh, herself. No, no, well, let's let's well, just give her a shout She's she's a very yeah. talented performer yeah, too. Yeah. Um, uh, between all that, so yeah, so the big thing is if we can get the boosted campaign over the line, and as I say, yeah. cuts off the end of next week. Yeah. Um, we'll we have to get on the plane, I think. So, and I've got a couple of fundraising concerts. Uh, the Palmerston North or the Regent Theatre in Palmerston North. We come back and they want to run a big thing for us. I'll probably do it in August. Yeah. And they got some funding. So you know, there's a couple of things like that. The Expressions Theatre yeah. in Upper Hutt, which I help run their jazz festival, their music festival. Yeah. They're offering to do something, and we've well, we've tried to get hold of the Mayor of Wellington to see if we can maybe get something going at the Regent or something like that. Another oh, Regent at the Opera House for having, yeah. having her back, but you know, he's he's only had the email about two days ago. So yeah, yeah. So if I can get to at least some of those off the ground and get them done before August, mm. it'll just hopefully bring the balance of what I need and the bank manager won't have to be hit. <laughs> Meanwhile, I still buy Lotto. Yeah, yeah. Because if I get Lotto, there's a lot of people I could tell you get stuffed, I can tell you that. <laughs> Especially if I win the big prize. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's, well, what's further, obviously that's the focus right now, but the, the Monterey, uh, but what... What else is in the pipeline? Uh, well, I'm always looking at other things because, you know, I'm the artistic director for Manor 2 Jazz Festival, Napier Jazz and Expressions. Yeah. So that runs every year. Yeah. So I've got several artists I'm working on for next year already. Mm. Robin Ford is interested. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, well, you bought about before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of Richard Boner. Yeah. Um, I have had discussions with funny enough Gino Vanelli who does a big, big <laughs> yeah, band thing yeah. he, he's done a killer uh, on YouTube you can get it he did a killer concert a few years back two or three years ago at the Metropole Orchestra right. fantastic concert man he's seen his ass off um, and, and it's once again it's sort of like finding artists who yeah have got a wider... It's like when I had Randy Crawford come out. People couldn't believe it. I said, well, yeah, but you listen to what she's done. I said, yeah, she's with the chairs. Yeah, yeah, it's all... Yeah, I exactly. Mean, and her all... voice works with that idiom. Yeah, she's not really a jazz singer as we think of jazz singers. Like but, a it's a but it's a component of what she does. Yeah. And the underlying framework of yeah, the band she's are... worked with have always been yeah. jazz-based, yeah. yeah. you know. Fusion of I've, got that, I've got that live record of yeah. her with BB King and yeah. the Crusaders. Yeah. It's fantastic. Oh, you know, like that. So you know, and, and, that, and that's why I think someone like the Gene Ivanelli thing could yeah. work because he's hit a lot of it, like Brother of the Brother and all those tunes. I mean, there's a real sort of like vibe to those. Tracks. And you'll have Michael Houston learning yeah, yeah, <laughs> big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. playing sense, man. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So uh, I've got a couple of those, and I've got a couple of I've uh, through. Um, um, Tony Lindsay, who I just yeah. had here, he's really good friends with Dennis Chambers. Yeah, wow. And Dennis was on to him basically when he knew he was in New Zealand. So I think, you know, with a bit of negotiation and talking and working of things, so he, he'd be interested wow. to come down and work. And yeah. I've got a couple other people. Out. So, uh, like, I'm always working. Yeah, there's always about, these odds and fires. Yeah, yeah, well, always. And, you know, once again, it's like. 
people of friends of friends of friends. So I was like, you know, yeah. I, I met Tony Lindsay probably two, three years ago with Santana because I had to Dave Matthews, the keyboard player. Yeah. Uh, I went and saw the concert in Auckland and uh, I was introduced to Tony. So then I see Tony in our, in San Francisco when I'm there, we will go to dinner and he, he happens to come along to the dinner hang and then he arrives down here as part of the jazz garden. Yeah, yeah. And then he's saying, hey man, I just got a, I just had an email from, uh, yeah. from uh, you know, he wants to come down. You know? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Dennis wants to come down. Wow. And so it's, yeah, and that's sort of how it works. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's sort of like, the one door opens, so you bring somebody else in, and they've got something. And, and and the main thing is they have that rapport with people, and they, yeah, you know, they're they looked after, and they have a good experience. It's kind of a version yeah. of the conversation that goes on stage between yeah. jazz yeah. musicians. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's like yeah. there's an on stage well, and off stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm always so you're down. not you're not slowing down. Uh, <laughs> not. No, I don't, well, it's a long time dead man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but. Uh, yeah, and I'm you know, and I still really enjoy working at the New Zealand School of Music. Yeah, yeah. So what does what does that involve? Ah, uh, well, you know, I'm a full time senior lecturer there. I, I've got a, that's my full time yeah. gig. You yeah. Know? But because of what I do, they also want me out playing and doing. Yeah, what yeah. I do yeah I was, it, well, you're a, a very you're the you're the probably the public face of jazz for New Zealand, oh, arguably. Thank you. <laughs> like, you know, well, I think yeah, certainly you know you and and. Jazz in that wider context yeah. with those guest artists yeah. and those, you know, bringing in like blues and soul yeah. vocalists yeah. to work, you know, yeah. and blues oh, no, I think it all works. And, you know, uh, I've got two big bands at the school. We've got the fusion ensemble. I teach the trombones. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a healthy scene there, you know. And every now and then you get to play in a quartet or something yeah, where yeah. you. Well, I still do that. You know, I've got my. You know, I've, yeah. got, I've got the funk bone experience. Which exactly. Is sort of the, Funk thing I've it's your pl your playing out yeah there. yeah where I can use my effects pedals and yeah. all that sort of stuff <laughs> on the trombone yeah and that's with uh, Nick Granville on guitar and Lance Phillip on drums and yeah then, uh, and they're mainstays they're stalwarts yeah and I got the two guys from San Francisco uh, Dwayne Pate who was, he was the bass player with Robin Ford and Arturo yeah. Sandoval killer bass player God, yeah yeah man it's, it's unbelievable what he can do and then Dave Matthews uh, played on the recording yeah Unfortunately, he couldn't do the tour dates uh, when we released it in yeah. April this year, so I got uh, Matt Harris came out and played. Matt, Matt had been with Maynard and Ferguson and uh, yeah. uh, Buddy Rich, and he's the head of jazz studies at Northridge University. But Ingrid's killer. Pretty, pretty good super yeah. sub. <laughs> yeah, just sort of fit it in and just, he was the same, you know, he was at a university mm -hmm. and he's like, man, I'm, I'm out playing for 10 days, yeah. let's get out of it. You know, yeah. that was great. So, you know, I'm I'm really to be able to actually make make my living doing what I love. But, you know, not too many people can actually say that. We've had a few conversations over the years, <laughs> but we I haven't had one with you know I, I've wanted to do this for a while, but I haven't had a conversation with you that's gone this far through sort of you know laying out everything mm. you've done but obviously I've been aware of, of most of it and we've, we've we've had a bit of correspondence and a few conversations mm. over the years um, it's I always get from you uh, a, a sort of an energy that you know you want to do this and, and you have to do it mm. you know you're not going to which you know, obviously, you're not going to turn around and become a carpenter now, or no, no. you know, go it's back to late. even go back to a classical career in music. You know, <laughs> <all I> know. <laughs> yeah. Um, no regrets then. No, no, definitely not. 
Yeah, I mean, it's been hard times, you know. Sometimes yeah. uh, tours haven't gone as well, and I've had to take, you know, more than several years to pay the bills off and <laughs> do all those sort of things. Yeah. Um, but along, I've also had a lot of support, you know. Yeah. And I've had tours that haven't gone well, and I've had the, I've had the artists come and say, oh, just give me half the money. Yeah, right. And, but when I've had the money, I've brought them back. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. So I've had that rapport as well, so... Um, yeah, so I get no regrets really. I, you know, I, 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 I think the only regret I've got is the music still is not a hundred percent taken seriously in the same. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I was going to say breath as other popular sy- music or well, symphony orchestra, ballet, yeah. opera. Now I'm the first to say I think we need a symphony orchestra, and we should have a ballet company and an opera company, and we need the regional orchestras. Yeah, I must say I'd like to see more New Zealanders. A lot of those groups because there's yeah. a, lot, a lot of them have outside players who are brought in. Yeah, when we're turning out some fine players from the classical side of where I am, so there's some fine players, being, but all of a sudden they can't get a job in their own symphony orchestra yeah, and whatnot yeah. because of international players being brought in. You know, I, I, I think maybe there needs to be a quota system, like, like, yeah. like, like uh, you know. Like some of the sports teams, they only have so many foreign players. Yeah. Um, and, and look after our own, because the only way we can develop our own scene and, and the level of our you own players to... up, they, 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 they have to have employment and they've got to have employment which is steady. You need to start running some ads like the Quincy one that hooked you <laughs> in and, and poach some of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my, like, probably my lifelong dream is to have. The equivalent, yes, but on a jazz band. So, yeah. I mean, I have been working with a ser- series of players for over the last four four years, I suppose, with with the underlying thing of having a New Zealand jazz orchestra, yeah, which is totally self sustaining, funded, like the Symphony Orchestra and the Ballet Company, Opera Company, uh, which I think is the next step. As, lo- as long as it doesn't end up being populated by all all the people who've got gigs. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it needs to be populated by the players coming out of the universities, and who, or and some experienced players. Yeah, there's got to be a balance, but it's got to be like another focus to where people can go. They can yeah. go study at the university, and all of a sudden they don't have to go out on a cruise boat. They can audition yeah. for the New Zealand Jazz Orchestra. Yeah. So I mean that that is something which we're working on. I mean the. We've got a we've got a framework in place. We've got it registered. There's a charter. There's a charitable charter being put around. So it's it's getting this, but it's just you know trying to pull those threads because yeah, unfortunately, ego stuff can play. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like who's going to be in charge? I said, well, no, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just you know it's all that type yeah. of thing. And I said, really, quite frankly, um, the only way it's going to work is everybody's got to be on the same page. And if it's not, I'll just do my own thing. Because I've been doing it 43 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. But I think that's really what I'd like to see. I'd like to see that. that that's the final sort of thing. Yes. And it's not a legacy thing for me. I just think it's well, it would be, but I, don't, I get that it's yeah. not about that, no. but it absolutely would be. It would become... So that, it's there and it's been yeah. tickled on in the background. Yeah. But quite frankly, my main focus at this present time is to get the band on Monterey yes. which, in September of this year. So which again is... is um, uh, a miraculous undertaking, and and, and 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 would be a great thing for yeah. for New Zealand. It would be right. a great thing not just for those players, as yeah. you say. Mm. Though the experiences they have, they bring back and yeah. share with yeah. 
young, young yeah. and old, uh, with your concert audiences as mm. well as with the uh, the students. Mm. Mm. Um, I, I guess I just want to say again a thank you for for kind of I feel like for all that you've done for music in New Zealand. I feel like you're. I mean, I know you've you've actually been given. You have been rewarded formally as well as you know. As, 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 as <laughs> yeah. You've got a couple of titles. Oh yeah, you've got, um, you got a couple of titles, and you've got your own, the own, your own sort of <coughs> uh, artistic and spiritual benefits you get from it. Yeah. But uh, but it's worth noting, I think, that you've fostered so many great players, and then these relationships with international. And, and I just want to say it means a lot to me. Thank you.